Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Friendship 4 is going to be back in 2024, and Merrimack is heading to Belfast, Northern Ireland. We found that out earlier today on Thursday as I record this. Welcome into this week's Mac Report podcast. Merrimack, the men's hockey program, is going to be heading to Belfast, Northern Ireland next year, probably Thanksgiving weekend. They didn't have a date attached to it. They just said November 2024. But this tournament has always been held Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Merrimack has never gone to the Friendship 4 before. Uh, but they'll be going out next year with a really fun, really fun group of teams. I think it's going to be a really competitive and a, and a really good tournament. Merrimack, BU, Notre Dame, and Harvard. Uh, th- more than likely Thanksgiving weekend 2024. They they said today November. So not they're not necessarily Thanksgiving. That's when the tournament's always been. Uh, it could be a different weekend in, t- in November of 24. But it was announced today that Merrimack is heading over there. Uh, it's not going to be the first time that... The, the the college has been over there in Belfast. The women's program played a, a series of games against Quinnipiac back in 2021, I think. Oh, no, 2019? 2020? It was before COVID. Uh, but right, I think it was probably 2020, probably early 2020, right before COVID really hit or, or the fall of 19. Uh, so the women's program was over there for two games against Quinnipiac, but it was a series. It wasn't a, a tournament. The Friendship Four tournament is, is a men's hockey tournament. It's been around since 2015, took a couple years off. Because of, of COVID, uh, they had a tournament last year, 2022. Uh, Quinnipiac won that tournament. I don't think there's one scheduled for this year. So they're taking a year off and then going back in 2024 uh, where Merrimack, BU, Notre Dame, and Harvard will make up the field. So it's a really good – I mean, that's a really good field of teams. Uh, obviously, BU should be, you know, once again, one of the best teams nationally. It always seems to, to shake out that way. you got uh, a Merrimack team that will – you know, probably at that point next year, be a little bit younger, uh, just with some of the graduations. They're going to have this upcoming offseason. Uh, but Notre Dame, always one of the better teams in the Big Ten. Uh, and then and then Harvard, will, will, Harvard's reloading. Uh, <laughs> they may be a little more reloaded by next year. So it's a, it'll be a really fun group of teams heading over to Belfast next year. Uh, should be a good trip, uh, one that I know – I know people with the program have wanted to do for a while. They, they, there wasn't the opportunity there for Merrimack for a little bit, but uh, they, they wanted to have that opportunity to head over there uh, a couple of years ago and, and now are going to get the opportunity to do it next year. So that was some good news coming out of earlier today. I got some mailbag questions I want to get to. I want to preview the main series, and then we're going to get to an interview with Scott Boric later on. Also trying to set up something with Joe Gallo to preview the Merrimack men's basketball season, which starts on Monday. Monday, November 6th, Merrimack's going to be in Vermont to take on the Catamounts, one of the top teams in America East. Uh, that's how they'll start the year. 
They'll do that on Monday. I don't know if we'll get an episode up before Monday to preview the basketball season. It may be that we do something next week after they've already played their first game. Uh, we're trying to get schedules sorted out now. But uh, be on the lookout for that because we'll be coming and uh, we're going to have more more basketball content on the podcast and the site moving forward because basketball is now going to be playing as of next week. So both seasons will be in full swing. Uh, but let, we'll get to the main preview, Merrimack main preview in a couple of minutes. Also, we have Scott Borg's interview in a couple of minutes. First, though, I want to get to some mailbag questions. I have uh, I've essentially whittled these down. <laughs> so, uh, but let's see. First is Josh. Josh sent an email basically asking, Mike, what's the benefits of Merrimack moving to the MAC? Uh, I don't understand why this move is a bigger move than the NEC. Uh, can you please explain it to me? Admittedly, I don't know much about Division One conferences. Uh, well, Josh, I mean, yeah, it, it's definitely a big move for basketball. Uh, just, you know, generally speaking, the NEC is seen as, as one of, if not the smallest Division One conference for you know sports outside of hockey. Uh, from a basketball standpoint, it's it's really considered one of the weakest. Generally speaking, if you notice, the team that wins the NEC always they, they get an an NCAA tournament bid. They all do the ones that win their conference tournaments. But the NEC champion is usually playing not on Thursday or Friday in the NCAA tournament. They usually have to start their tournament on what is it Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever they do the first four out there in Dayton. Uh, the the NEC is almost always part of the first four. Uh, and I think that is the four lowest-ranked teams. The first four consists of the four lowest-ranked conference champions and the four lowest-ranked at-large bids, I think, by the RPI. And the NEC is almost always in it. Uh, now, the MAC champion has been in the first four before, but not with nearly the regularity that the NEC champion is. So it is It is a much better basketball conference. It's absolutely a much better basketball conference. Uh, I, from, from a competitive standpoint, Merrimack should be fine. I mean, I, I think what you're going to see is I think you're going to see them transition and play more games in, in Lawler Arena, which, they I mean, let's be honest, they put the money into the rink this past summer. That's what they should do. So with that being said, I think their building is going to be, you know, near the top of the MAC, if not at the top of the MAC, in terms of of arena facilities. Uh, you know, it's going to be very, it's going to be much better than some teams. It's going to be equivalent of some others. And uh, you know, Qu- Quinnipiac, for instance, has a really nice arena there in the MAC. Uh, there's a couple of others as well. But law, if, if Merrimack plays in Lawler, their facility is going to be very, it's going to be on par with the top of the MAC, which is what they obviously need to do so uh it, it's they're going to be fine i think from that standpoint uh, i look i really like the coaching staff here i think they're, they've got a really smart coaching staff that is going to be able to recruit honestly they're probably not going to recruit much differently than they recruit now they're, it's going to be the same style of player i don't think it's going to be much different merrimack is playing non-conference games against mac teams already and have been competitive so i don't think they're going to change much from that standpoint i think it's going to be you know, kind of business as usual, just in a different league, but in a better league. Still a league, though, where I think Merrimack can compete for championships because and, and, that's important. If you're going to have men's basketball and you're going to invest in men's basketball, you want to win your league. You want to have a chance to win your league because you want to play in the NCAA tournament. That's how that's how this becomes worth it <laughs> is by playing in that tournament, playing in the NCAAs. So uh, it's a better conference for, for Merrimack men's basketball. There's no question. It's a better conference for 
you know, a number of schools, uh, for a number of programs, excuse me. Uh, it's going to be, you know, better competition all around. It may open you up to so I just strictly focusing on it from a basketball standpoint because, look, you know, no offense to the other sports, but I think when you're talking about moving conferences at the FCS level, because clearly, you know, football right now doesn't have a home. they got to figure that out. Uh, if you're moving conferences at the Division One FCS level, the decision is made predominantly for your basketball program. That's where the money's made, okay? So most of these decisions, most of these larger-scale decisions are going to be made largely with, with basketball in mind because that's, you know, that's where you can make your most money. That is, and that's true at Merrimack and everywhere else, by the way. That's not exclusively to Merrimack. That's, that's across athletics. So obviously this doesn't affect hockey because they're in Hockey East. But uh, from, from Merrimack's standpoint, I think the decision was made largely for basketball. It's, it's a much better spot for them to be in basketball-wise. From, uh, as far as their other sports, they're going to be competitive with all their other sports. It's really not much of a change. Like It's not like you're going from the NEC to the ACC. You can never do that. Or FCS to FBS in football. It's a better mid-major conference. I mean, I, look, some people argue that the NEC is not even really mid-major. You know, it's kind of low-major. The MAC is mid-major. So it's a step up uh, in prestige as far as conferences go. That's really, I think, why they did it. Uh, it makes a lot more sense. You're, you're partnering with like-minded and similar institutions, whether that's Iona or, or Quinnipiac. You know, it's mostly private. Catholic or formerly Catholic institutions that have, you know, bigger Division I athletic programs. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it really is probably at this point where Merrimack belongs. I don't know that they belong, you know, because there's other conferences that are at the level of the MAC. You've got America East, which is similar, right? But the, the, the makeups of those schools are different. It's a lot of big state schools in America East. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You've got Vermont. You have Maine. You have UNH. You have UMass Lowell. Like, it's bigger state schools uh, in in America East. So I don't know that that's really the right fit. The MAC really feels like it's the best fit for me, for where they are right now. And they can grow. You know, ultimately, what this, what this boils down to, no offense to the folks at the NEC, Merrimack very quickly outgrew the NEC. Very quickly. And I think credit goes to the basketball program for having the success that they had right away and all of the other programs for having the success that they had right away. But it's not even about – this is where people, I think, get confused. These decisions, it's not always about just on-field success or on-court success or anything like that because these decisions are not being made by, by athletic directors or coaches. These decisions are being made at the presidential level. So it's recognition, and Jeremy Gibson talked about this when, uh, when I did a story a couple of weeks ago and spoke to him about it. It's not just a recognition of Merrimack's success athletically. I think it's a sign of Merrimack's growth as an academic in- institution that those schools want to be associated with Merrimack. Because, again, the presidents of those schools, of the Mac schools, they're the ones that ultimately signed on for this to happen and, and brought Merrimack to the MAC. It doesn't happen without the president's the presidential vote, so that's important to note. Uh, if you want to follow up on that, Josh, just shoot me another email, and we can get to it on next week's episode. 
Uh, let's see. Drew. Hey, Mike. Love the site. Was wondering if you th- if you knew when Nikita Borodienko is going to get a look in the lineup. I'm surprised that he hasn't played so far. Uh, yeah, well, I think there was a I think there was an injury related thing there early. Well, he was sick early. He didn't make the trip to Arizona State. He missed tra- the, the flight uh, because he was sick. And I think he was still, you know, recovering over the last couple of weeks. So I don't know if it was the flu or, or what he had. I'm not going to speculate. But I know he was sick and couldn't travel. Scott Borg told us that. And I don't think that he has been available since then. Because, look, if they're so banged up with injuries. I think if he had been available, we would have seen him by now. So my guess is that that, that is, and again, I don't know for sure, but my guess is that his absence has been health-related and that he will probably get a look once he's healthy for the mere reason that they're just killed by injuries at the moment. <laughs> well, we'll find out from Coach Bork later on if, if, if any of those guys are healthy. I've Actually, as I record the intro here, I've not recorded that interview yet. So I don't even know, as I record this, if they're going to get guys like Alex Jeffries or, or – uh, Chase Stevenson or, or some of the guys that have been out, if they're going to get those guys back this week. And Mac Welsher left the game against Northeastern last weekend. Uh, although I think, did he return? He may have returned. Either way, I I have not had that conversation yet, so I can't tell you, even as I introduce here, if, if they're going to be healthier than they were last weekend or less healthy, hopefully not less healthy, uh, than they were last week against Northeastern. We'll get those answers soon. But, yeah, I think, you know, he's the oh, is he the only one that hasn't played? Of the, of the guy, I mean, obviously, Jeffries hasn't played. We know he's hurt. Uh, Mike Brown hasn't played. He had surgery. We know he's hurt. So I think Borodienko is the only other guy on the roster that has not made made it or is not dressed for a game yet this season. So that's where I have to assume it's health-related. Uh, and we'll find out more hopefully soon. And I think once he's healthy, he he will probably get a look because, look, they were really excited about bringing him in, and, and we saw last year in limited time, you know, he had to kind of come up to speed to Division One hockey, but we saw in limited time last year how, how well he shoots the puck, which, I mean, look, you, you always need that, right? So, um, But it sounds like he had made some steps, too, in his game. So uh, we'll see if he's able to, to get in the lineup this weekend or, or maybe sometime soon. But I would keep I would keep an eye out. All right, next up. Next up, and actually last up for our mailbag, is Josh. Uh, Josh says, uh, Mike, what are your impressions of Mark Gallant, Brady Hunter, Ethan Bono, and some of the other guys that have played in the bottom six? I really like the physical edge that they've brought to this team. Yeah, look, I would agree, honestly. And I think, you know, I know Mac Welsher leads them in scoring right now, but I would put Welsher in that camp as well. If we're, talk- if we're talking about the bottom six, the third and fourth line, you know, Welsher, I think, is a guy who's going to be the anchor of that third line once they get everybody back healthy. You know, once Stevenson's back and Jeffries is back uh, and, and they're kind of at full strength from a forward standpoint, Young is back, I think Welsh is going to be a guy that really becomes the anchor to that third line, similar to what Ryan Liebold was last year with Seifert and, and uh, McMesner. So, you know, I, I would put him in that group too because I think that's where he – that's where he is going to end up. I think he's going to be the, the, that third-line anchor uh, once they're they're fully healthy. But other guys that have – I mean, look, I agree with you. I think that uh, – I like what I've seen from Brady Hunter. Ironically enough, Hunter reminds me a little bit of Leibold. 
Uh, I think Ethan Bono's looked good when he's been in there. Both those guys have played well. Uh, I think Mark Lantz looked good. You know, he's played every game so far. And, you know, he's he's probably in a different role than he was in at Dartmouth, uh, only because when you look at his performance at Dartmouth two years ago, and again, when I bring up Gallant, I always bring up two years ago, not last year. Uh, but two years ago, he scored 11 goals in, in a shortened season, right? And played well. So I think that on that team, he was relied upon to be more of a go-to top six guy because Dartmouth was on the weaker end. On this team, he's definitely played more of a role that's been the bottom six grinder, the guy who, he's a bigger body, a guy you want to go out there and set the tone physically and and make some plays and create some havoc, and I think he's done that. You know, he really, if you notice, if you notice Mark Allen, one of the things that, that stands out immediately about him is he finished, if he's the F1 on the four check, he's finishing that check more often than not, <laughs> which is important. Because I think that you never know what that's going to do to that defenseman. Maybe it's a clean zone exit that time. But when the check gets finished, now is that guy, is he hearing things? Is he wondering what's coming? Like, you never really know. You never really know what that can do to the next time he's got to go back on a puck retrieval. So I like the fact that he's continuously finishes checks as the F1 on the four check because I think if, over time that starts to wear on on defensemen, uh, especially ones that are on the younger side that maybe a little bit, you know, not have, not have as much poise with the puck. Uh, so that's been good. And again, I think Bono and Hunter have both been good in their roles. I think David Sacco, again, got moved up when Young got hurt, but I think when he's when everybody's healthy, kind of like Welsher, he's going to slide into that third, fourth line role as well. And I think he's been excellent, plays with a lot of pace, plays with a lot of speed. Another guy who plays physical, uh, so that's been good. Devlin O'Brien has looked good in the, in the minutes that he's had, kind of in one of those roles. So all of those guys, I think, have played really well to this point. Now, what does the lineup look like when guys get healthy? You know, what does the lineup look like when – Stevenson's back and Jeffries is back and and you know everybody kind of gets shuffled around. I don't know. They're going to have some hard decisions to make. They really are. Uh, Scott Bork talked about that a week ago with us. He talked about it in interviews after the game on Saturday. But it's the it's the truth. Like when those guys come back, they're going to have some hard decisions to make because a number of these guys have played really well. Like how do you look at some of these guys and say, hey, you're not in the lineup anymore? <laughs> It's gonna, they're going to have some really, really hard decisions to make, but they're, what, it's, what it's also going to do is it's going to give them the flexibility to say, hey, you don't have it this weekend, or, or you didn't have it last night, so we're going to go with someone else tonight. I think you're going to have that internal competition where everybody's kind of kept on their toes because everybody knows that you're playing for your, your ice time on a weekly basis. And look, for a long time, that was not the case here. I mean, let's just be honest. For a long time, you could probably say at least half the roster, if not three-quarters of the roster, knew that they were going to be in the lineup every week, no matter how they played, because it was all that they had. You know, Merrimack didn't have a lot of weapons a few years ago. There wasn't a lot of firepower there. So if you were a guy that could score goals and you had a night off and and play like garbage, you were still going to play the next night because the potential of you popping in a couple of goals was too much for, for them to sit you down. It's not the case now. This is what depth gives you. Uh, and I think it, it brings you that internal competition, which is always good. Um, you know, I, I, think it's, it's, I think it's what you need. I think it's what good teams usually have. So thanks for those submissions. If you want to send in a submission next week, I sent something on Twitter about this to get 
mailbag submissions in. I thought it would be a cool um, little thing to do here, the intro part of the podcast. But if you had something you wanted to contribute to our mailbag, very easy way to do it. Uh, either send an email uh, to macreportvip at gmail.com. That's the old email address back when we had the old site before we went to Substack. Uh, but macreportvip at gmail.com will, can send a dedicated email. Or uh, if you are a subscriber to our site, if you are a, a MacReport subscriber and you get our site post delivered to your inbox, all you need to do is reply to one of those posts. Uh, I don't know. I forget what it shows up as the email address, but the, you will, the email will come directly to me. So reply to one of our posts, leave a comment on one of our posts, or email me directly, macreportvip at gmail.com, uh, and that's how you can send in stuff for next week's mailbag. But thank you guys for sending those in this week. Uh, now let's take a look at Maine. The 3-1 and one Maine Black Bears coming in this week to face Merrimack. Both games at Lawler, uh, Friday and Saturday night, 7 p.m., I know tickets. I, I checked in with the school this morning. Tickets were going very fast. So if you don't have tickets yet, I would highly recommend buying them ahead of time. Uh, I know I think student tickets were sold out and they had to get more uh, or they were making more available uh, because this is going to be a big weekend. You've got 3-1 and one Maine against 3-2 and two Merrimack. Uh, Merrimack has owned this series of late. Maine did win the last game in overtime last February. Uh, some people, you know, may may remember that one. It wasn't that long ago, but it was up at Alphond. It was on a Sunday afternoon. It was Super Bowl Sunday. That's the game where uh, Maine scored two shorthanded goals in the third period to tie the game, and then a, an overtime goal from Ben Poisson uh, won the game for them in overtime. Uh, that was when Merrimack was in the middle of their slide, and just it felt like. No matter what they did, nothing could go right. So Maine did win the last game in the series, but prior to that, Merrimack had won five in a row. And it's been very streaky. If you go back to 2019, you had four wins in a row by Maine, five wins in a row by Merrimack, and now Maine's won the last one. So Merrimack trying to prevent a, a, a long Maine run here, as has been the case in this series for a little bit. Uh, but Maine has played well. You look, they're, they're on the rebuild. Uh, ben Barr is reshaping and rebuilding that roster. They're younger than they have been, uh, just because he's bringing in his own players. But that doesn't mean that they're young all the way through the lineup. They do have a lot of experience, and they've got experience in key positions. Victor Osman is a senior. He's their goaltender. He's played okay, all right? And and what I mean by that is you can look at his goals against average and say, wow, 198 goals against average, he's played really well. Yeah, he has. He's played fine. He also has an 899 save percentage. His goals against right now are due largely because Maine has been excellent at limiting shots. And I'm not saying that Osman has been bad. He hasn't been. He's just been, he's been good. He's been fine. He has been great. He's been fine. And last year, he was really good. 221 goals against, 918 save percentage. Uh, he played really well his freshman and sophomore year when he faced a ton of shots. You know, his freshman year, he had a 902 save percentage and a goals against that was almost four because he just faced a barrage of shots every night. Uh, now, as a senior, it's the, the, the script has flipped here. He doesn't face as many shots. Save percentage is right around 900, 899, so pretty close, right around 900. Uh, but he's played, like, like I said, he's played fine. To me, the bigger story with Maine, uh, and, and we, we know, we, we've seen Osman play enough. I think we know what type of goaltender he is. We know that he's going to, uh, we, we know that he's going to play well. He usually does, okay? The bigger story with Maine right now, for me, is their younger guys. You have Josh Nadeau, who's a freshman, four points in four games. Bradley Nadeau, a freshman, his brother, his younger brother, 
also four points in four games, leads the team with 18 shots on goal. Oh, and he was a first-round pick. Bradley Nadeau, first-round pick of Carolina this past summer. Uh, Josh is his older brother, actually undrafted, but they're both coming in this year as freshmen. Uh, Bradley is an 05. Josh is an 03. But they've both come in as freshmen, and they've both been right up there as, as two of Maine's top players. Thomas Friel is a sophomore. He has four assists. He's at the top of the scoring chart. Doesn't take a lot of shots on goal, but a good setup guy. Uh, he's a sophomore. Uh, then they've got – and then that second layer – that second layer is where they you start to see some of their experience. You have Ben Poisson, who's a grad student. He's got four points in four games. They have six players with four points uh, leading their scoring. So it's a little spread out. Uh, and they've had some good wins. I mean, just this past weekend, they split with Quinnipiac, which is a really, really hard place to play, and they, they did that on the road. They won 2-1 to one in overtime on Friday, lost 4-1 to one on Saturday. Quinnipiac, defending national champions, uh, without some guys. They didn't have Colin Graff, who's you know probably one of the best players in the country, but Maine wins the game 2-1 to one in overtime on Friday, limited Quinnipiac to 18 shots on goal. So Maine has limited four opponents. They played RPI twice and Quinnipiac twice. They've limited their opponent to under 20 shots in three out of those four games. And one of those was Quinnipiac. RPI is one of the weaker teams in the ACAC. But one of those teams is, was Quinnipiac, which is impressive even without Colin Graff. Now, Quinnipiac came back the next night, got a 4-1 win, had 30 shots on net in that game. So a little bit of a different game there on Saturday. Uh, when I watched it, you know, Maine actually went ahead in that game. Brazali scored first about midway through the first period. And then the big thing was is Quinnipiac scored about a minute later, right away. Uh, scored two in the second and then had an uh, empty netter late in the third. So it was really a 3-1 game. But what was impressive to me was that Friday night game, Maine still held their opponent to under 20 shots on goal, and it was Quinnipiac. They just beat the crap out of RPI the week before. Uh, they, they beat them 4-1 to one on Thursday the 12th, oh, two weeks ago, sorry, they had a bye week in there. Thursday the 12th, Maine won a game 4-1 to one over RPI, outshot them 57-13. to 13. Uh, this, That game was in Orno. Then on Friday the 13th, uh, beat them 6-3, to three, outshot them 51-19. to 19. So really put a thumping on RPI early in the year. Uh, RPI how do those? How does that look? How does that compare? Well, RPI hasn't won a game yet, so they're zero four. I mean, I, it's an impressive performance. It's what a good team should do to a not very good team. Uh, but you know, we I don't know that it's really impressive considering what RPI has done since then. They lost to BC six to one, got outshot thirty two twenty two. Then they lost to Providence on the road four to two, got outshot forty two to eighteen. So RPI is kind of getting thumped by everybody at the moment. <laughs> uh, Maine just started that trend. We'll see what they look like, you know, tomorrow night. I think, personally speaking, that this is back-to-back weekends where, you know, Maine going into Quinnipiac last weekend, they probably looked at that weekend internally. They wouldn't say it to their players, but the coaching staff internally, I have to imagine, said, look, if we go down to Quinnipiac and come back with a split, we're pretty happy. Given how things have gone and how Merrimack has played, I think Maine's probably thinking the same thing this weekend. And, it, and it's hard not to look at this weekend and think, you know, it's probably the expectation here is a split. Both teams are playing well. I think both teams are good. Uh, a split is probably what you kind of expect, especially if Merrimack's going to be without several key players. Now, if you're telling me they're going to get Stevenson and Jeffries back in, in the lineup, I, I, I feel a little, a little bit better and would tell you that Merrimack should expect more than just a split here. 
Uh, I thought they played really well against Northeastern last week on the road, which is a really good step. But again, if they're if they're without some of their top players, including a guy who might be one of the best players in the league, or not might be is one of the best players in the league, uh, it's it's not easy. It's going to get difficult, and Maine I think is going to be a frustrating team to play against. Now you're lucky that the games are at home, much better than having to play those games up at Alphon. But I think it, I think it's going to be a frustrating weekend for Merrimack. It's, Maine has not been an easy team to play against. And that doesn't mean frustrating like they're not going to have success, but I just think the game is going to manifest itself in a way that's going to be frustrating Uh, because, you know, this is a good main team, and they work hard, and they're quick, and they're skilled, and they can present a lot of problems. And if you're not with all of your top personnel available, well, then those problems are going to be even more difficult to defend. You know, that's kind of how that works. So I'm, I'm curious to see how these two games manifest themselves because I think it's going to be a challenge for Merrimack without some of their key guys. Uh, I really do. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a difficult series. That being said, Merrimack can present some challenges to Maine as well. The big one being younger Maine team against a really, you know, an older veteran heavy Merrimack team. How do they respond to playing against that type of team? They, they did okay against Quinnipiac last week, but it starts to be a grind. I think Merrimack and Quinnipiac, from in terms of roster building, are built pretty similarly. It's going to be a grind having to do that again. <laughs> you know, you just came off a weekend where you played that type of team. Then you go back, you strap the ice bags on, and you got to come back down and play a, a Merrimack team that's going to play a very similar style, that are just as big, that are just as heavy, that play just as hard. Like it's going to be a difficult series for both of these teams. I think you're going to see a lot of. Hand-to-hand combat, as Mark Dennehy used to say. I think that's how these, this series is going gonna, is gonna to manifest itself this weekend. And then, too, the other thing is, you know, what, what do they look like Friday to Saturday? Good or bad. Like, if they come out and have success on Friday, the team that loses the game on Friday, how good are they going to be at making adjustments going into Saturday? When you look at the main Quinnipiac series last week, I think you saw Quinnipiac, make some adjustments against against Maine on Sunday, uh, on Saturday, clearly. 2-1 to one loss in overtime, under 20 shots, to a 4-1 win in over 30 shots. So there was adjustments made there. And now that you're a week later into the year, does Merrimack kind of, can they learn from those adjustments that Quinnipiac made, especially where the teams are built so similarly? You know, whatever Quinnipiac did to have success against Maine, I think Merrimack could exploit the same things. Because from a personnel standpoint, they're a very similarly built team. The question is, is can they do it? We'll see. It's one of the big questions that has to be answered, and we'll find out tomorrow. All right, let's get to uh, Merrimack head coach Scott Boric. Again, we'll talk about this main series. We'll get his thoughts. We'll talk about, hopefully, if the, some good positive health updates uh, and more. I'll be back in a little bit, but up first, Merrimack head coach Scott Boric. All right, here at the head coach of the Merrimack men's hockey team, Scott Bork. And, Coach, before we talk about Maine, a big announcement today. You guys are heading over to Belfast next year to take part in the Friendship Four, which I know is something you guys have wanted to do uh, for a while. So how excited are you to head over there next year to Belfast, Northern Ireland, with BU and Notre Dame and Harvard? You know, what an opportunity for the four best schools in the country to get together and play a tournament in in, uh, Belfast. I I love it. You know, I went – to Belfast with Providence in the same tournament. Um, it's an incredible life experience for the players and, and for the staff, but 
it just as you know, you're going someplace where number one hockey is obviously relatively new. Uh, so they're very young fans, but excited fans. The rink will be packed every game. Um, and it's a soccer crowd. So it's, it's loud during warm-ups. It's loud during breaks. It's, it's kind of funny because it's not something you've ever experienced in the States. Uh, but the, obviously from the, the other standpoint of having an opportunity to be a, a traveler or a visitor to a country like that and see the countryside, see the government, you know, and just see some of the challenges that obviously Belfast has been through is is something I think it's a really good experience for our players. So I'm excited with finally getting the chance to do it, and we're doing it with obviously three other great schools. Yeah, I was I was surprised looking at the field today. I was like, wow, that's a that's a great group of four teams. Uh, you're going to have some you know really top competitive games over there traveling over there with with those other three teams. I I just think it will be a great experience. Um, Hockey wise, obviously, because of the three teams that are joining us there. Um, but beyond that, I think just as a as a college student, being able to you know see Northern Ireland and the challenges and what they've been through, and you know we went to the uh, uh, the Titanic Museum that was the Titanic was built in Belfast, which I didn't even know until we went. But now the museum was breathtaking and just the opportunity our players are going to get through that I'm excited for and frankly I'm excited for Merrimack College I I think that Merrimack College should be in the headlines and this being a little hockey thing that might help us in this small regard is is well deserved by an institution and I'm proud that we're able to bring it to that Uh, looking ahead to this week uh, you guys will face Maine coming up for two games here at home uh, coming off of the road win at Northeastern last Saturday, which uh, I know we talked after the game, but really felt like a, a total and complete effort. Now, now that you've had time to look back at that Northeastern game, uh, how impressed with you? How impressed were you with your performance, especially uh, in the D zone, where I mean, it really, I, I went back and watched the game again this week, and again thought it live and thought it when I went back and watched it again. They didn't really have a lot of room to operate uh, in their offensive zone, your defensive zone. No, I, I would agree. You know, it's it's funny. Matthews Arena just brings the chills to me uh, because we haven't had much success there. And even as a coach, I haven't had much success there, no matter whose team I was on. Um, but to have that success there, um, you know, I, I was nervous the whole game when we didn't have the puck in our stick. And when I watched the video, I was like, geez, that wasn't even really – that anxiety was poorly spent because – we were in a pretty good place, and I thought we were really under control on our own end. Uh, we probably didn't close on the puck as quickly as we'd like to, but we stayed between puck and net uh, the entire game, and we stayed between coverage and net uh, most of the game. So uh, I thought it was, from a defensive standpoint, it was probably as well as we've played all year, uh, which is necessary against Northeastern, but it will also be necessary this weekend against a much different opponent but a very good opponent what have you seen for Maine? i mean i know they've got the the four games under their belt so far they they beat uh, rpi twice at home split with quinnipiac last weekend which was an impressive weekend for them um but having been able to watch them a little bit where where do their what does it look like their strengths are and and has it is it any different from where it was last year as ben barr kind of begins to get his own players in there and and make maybe shape the roster more in into what his vision is uh, well, I can tell you that since Benny's got there, and and I, I 
would not be correct if I said it had, it's not a staple of Maine. I mean, when Red was there, it was the same way. Like they're going to work extremely hard. They're going to play extremely physical and they're going to be committed to the game. And that's how they've been uh, for the last five years since I've been at Maine under Red and now under Ben. Uh, right now they have a high level of ability and they might have the top line in Hockey East. I don't know if it's the best line, but certainly the Nadeau's and Lyndon Breen. Um, that creates a real difficult uh, group to defend. And I'm really, I'm very impressed with their team. And I've been very impressed with their effort and their physicality since uh, Ben got there. But, you know, as he said recently in a quote, now they can dictate success. And I agree with him. They have a team that's as good as anyone's. They have some players on their team that are as explosive as anyone's, uh, and they have very good goaltending. I think this is going to be a great weekend of hockey, and I'm looking forward to see where our team measures up. It seems like, too, they've done a pretty good job of, of limiting teams, just like you did against Northeastern last week. I just can look and say, you know, that two of the games against RPI, both of them, and then one of the games against Quinnipiac last week held the opponent to under 20 shots. So, I mean, not only are they explosive, it seems like they're, they've been pretty stingy with what they've allowed defensively as well. Well, and, and part of their defense is that for those three games you're talking about, well, <laughs> they had the puck an awful lot. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big thing. I think uh, their goaltender, Osman, is playing really well. And when you put, put pucks below the goal line and he gets touches, they come out of the zone. Um, he's really good at distributing the puck. He sees the ice really well as a goaltender. Um, and he's a real big part of their breakout. So we have to do a good job of not allowing them to be involved in the game that way and hopefully making a five-on-five above their goal line uh, versus a six-on-five when he's touching the puck. Um, and if we can do that, that leads more to our success. But, you know, certainly uh, they're very committed defensively. They're very committed in all three zones. And we know that. And um, it, we understand the challenge that's ahead. It's, uh, it's going to be a physical challenge, but it will be a mental challenge as well because they don't take any shifts off. And sometimes when you play the higher skilled teams, there might be a shift off. It's not going to be this weekend. So it's going to be a great ton war, if you will, uh, which, is a, which has been the same way the last couple of years, these two games, and, and we need to be ready for it. I feel like this is a, a the biggest question I ask you every week, unfortunately, the way the year has started. But how are you guys looking at health-wise? Any of the guys that were out, will, will you get back this weekend? And hopefully the answer is no, but hopefully there's nobody else that may be on the shelf with anything that popped up during the week. You know, I, I think we're getting to the other side of it. Um, certainly in the back end, we have no new information that's positive. Um, but Alex and Tyler Young have started to practice and – we're hopeful, and I wouldn't rule them out for either game. Uh, but I, and I would suggest that they would both play this weekend. I just don't know when, uh, and really because of that uncertainty, I really don't know where. But I, I think we're getting to the other side of it. With, at least with those two players, um, with Chase Stevenson and and Ivan Ziflak and Michael Brown and, and Adam Arvidsson, we're probably weeks away. But with these two players, we're a little bit more imminent. The, uh, the one guy I want to ask you about, too, was Welsh. I, I know he left the game there briefly against Northeastern. I think he came back, though, later in that game. Did he? And is, is, he's, is he good going into the weekend? He is. He did come back, and he is good going so. into the okay. weekend. And that's, you know, Alex Jeffries is obviously a huge loss. We all know that. 
I think one of those people that's getting the unseen loss is when we lost Mac in the middle of that game, uh, him coming back into that game made a huge difference. He's just a driver for us. Um, he has been since the day he got here, energy-wise, commitment-wise, structure-wise. He's just a driver. So uh, the fact that he's available is huge for us, and, and I think uh, he'll be 100% healthy moving forward. Two more guys I wanted to ask you about. Uh, we'll start with Michael Cetera, who had a couple of goals against Northeastern. Uh, I, the last two weeks, it, it seems as though he's been one of your better forwards. Really feel it seems like just watching watching him play that maybe he's getting a little bit more comfortable. Uh, is that something you've noticed as well? Because obviously the two goals are going to stand out, but it seems like he's been making an impact almost every shift, either creating an opportunity or getting a puck on net or you know winning a puck battle somewhere. It, it seems like he's had a lot of positive plays, uh, especially you know last weekend against Northeastern, but even against Clarkson and St. Lawrence the week before. You know, I, I, yeah, he's Michael's. I can't say enough about him. I think that. You know, confidence is such a major factor in success, and we often don't talk about it enough, but he clearly did not have confidence prior to getting here and had been in situations where his fault, or who, who knows why, but he just didn't find confidence. And, you know, we need Michael to be successful here, and I think that need, along with his ability, has created a confidence level that's been very good for him. And the, the most exciting thing for me, me, and I don't know if you remember this from the game, but, you know, he blocked a big shot in that game. Yeah. Um, and that, like the entire bench exploded when he did that. And he probably got more positive reinforcement from that shot block than he did for either of his goals. Uh, and I think that he's buying into that in a really positive way. I, I, I think Michael has a really good future for us and hopefully beyond, but, um, it's fun to see him gaining confidence each week, and I think we're seeing his impact is equivalent to his confidence. On the flip side of that, too, a defenseman I wanted to ask you about and what you've seen from him uh, so far this year, because it feels like he's really stepped up and filled a role, especially when you've had some guys out, is Christian Felton. It just seems like, I mean, it it, it almost feels like he has an extra gear uh, from from last year. Uh, it, it, I mean, I can't. It's almost like he doesn't make any mistakes when he's out there. Like I can't think of many mistakes that happen when the puck's on his stick, or when he's defending a guy one on one. It just in a time when you lose Zivlak and you lose Brown and you really maybe hurt a little bit for those guys that can really be an impact one on one defender. It, it, he's been fantastic the last two weeks, and, and really was against Arizona State as well. What have you seen from him in terms of the the rise in his game from last year to to this year? I think Christian Felton is one of the most exciting players in our league. Um, and he does most of his work without the puck. You know, it's funny. Like, I don't know if you remember the play in the game with Jack Williams, who's a heck of a hockey player. He had open space. He was wide and he, it looked like he was on his own and he might get a breakaway and Feltz just closed on him. And I knew like the minute I saw like Feltz kind of pivoting and going in that way and, Jack was ahead of him. I just, in my own mind, I had complete confidence that we were going to win that fight because it was Christian. And he is uh, one of those players that improves uh, daily and has legitimately gone from obviously not being a factor, which is why he transferred to us, to becoming one of the most important factors. And I, I honestly, I told him the other day that he reminds me, and you'll laugh at this, but he reminds me of Brett Pesci. Uh, at UNH, Brett was a stud defensively, 
and Christian's a stud defensively. And then Trevor Van Riemsdyk got hurt that season, and Brett had to play in the power play, and he was a stud offensively, but we just didn't believe it until we saw it. Um, and that's kind of what's happening with Christian. Like, he's on the second power play, and I'm like, holy cow, he's, he's really good in that role. And um, we hadn't underrated him there. So I'm, I'm super excited for the fact that, number one, he's on our team, and he's such a huge impact. But number two, for his future, I think it's really, really bright. Uh, and I think it's a long future. I'm, I'm, um, I couldn't be happier coaching him and, and really can't be more excited about his future. Yeah, I was going to say it's kind of funny because when he first got here as a transfer – you know, you probably didn't think, or maybe you did. I'm saying generally, people probably didn't think, "Hey, this, you know, here's a guy that can come in and, and make an impact and maybe have a future as a pro." Like I, I look at how he's played this, this year, especially, and it's like, not only should this guy be a professional hockey player, he should be a professional hockey player at a pretty high level because <laughs> uh, uh, he should play in the National Hockey. League. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, 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 and I'm saying it, and I. I know I'm going to, this is going to be broadcast, but he knows that I've said it to him. Like he's a national hockey league defenseman. Um, I really believe that I just, his growth and his commitment and his growth isn't because um, I'd love to say to you that I give, you know, Dan coaches our defense. I give Dan all the credit. I give the program. It's about Christian. He is so committed a lot of people can learn from him because he has individually daily made great progress in his game. And he did it from a place where the people didn't believe in him. Like he transferred to Merrimack, not because he was having so much success someplace else. He wasn't playing someplace else. And yet he came in, didn't play early and just kept working. And he still does the same things every single day. Like I, I, I think he has a great future, and I'm really excited about following it. He'll be an important part this weekend, too, against that that main offense that we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, it seems like there'll be a good crowd this weekend, too. I know I talked to somebody over there today. Uh, tickets were, were limited. They were releasing more student tickets. So uh, early in the year, it's first week in November, but this this feels like a big series weekend. I think it is, and, and not not because – either one of us, Maine or ourselves, or, you know, in first place today or trying to, you know, chase that. But I think that both of these teams have a chance to have really good seasons. I, I've watched them enough that they have a legitimate chance to have a great breakout season. Um, and I've seen us enough to feel that we have the same chance. So when you put two teams like that that are hungry in the same building, it should be great hockey this weekend. And I'm excited by the way the campus has embraced it. And I'm sure there won't be an empty seat there this weekend. All right, Coach. Well, good luck this weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Mac Report Podcast. Thanks again for listening and downloading the show. Thanks again to Scott Borick for being our guest. Uh, if you want to help us out, you can give us a rating over on Apple Podcast. If you want to subscribe to our site, head on over to themacreport.com today. You can sign up right there. You'll get all of our content delivered right to your inbox. If you want to uh, take part in our mailbag for next week, again, reply to one of our posts if they get emailed to you, which, uh, which they will if you're a subscriber. Uh, leave a comment on one of our posts or shoot me an email, macreportvip at gmail.com. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the show. Have fun watching the games this weekend, and we will talk to you next week.